What does it mean to live together? On this land? In, in this, this place? place? Burnt Thicket Theatre presents We, we Treaty, Treaty People. People. Audio dramas exploring what it means to embrace all our relations. Welcome back for our conversation with the artists from last episode. You said we'd be together forever. My name is Yvette Nolan, and I'm the production dramaturge for We Treaty People. My name is Stephen Walchmidt. I'm the artistic director of Burnt Thicket Theatre. Part of my personal journey in recent years has been about learning to see the history of Canada from Indigenous perspectives and unlearning cultural assumptions and practices I've received in my Eurocentric heritage. Of course, this learning and unlearning are ongoing. As a company, Burnt Thicket is seeking to respond to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's call to action number 83 to support good ways for Indigenous and non-Indigenous artists to collaborate in making theatre that contributes to reconciliation in these lands called Canada. In our live shows after Curtain Call, we encourage audiences and artists to engage with each other, with the story, and with their real lives outside the theatre. Given that these are digital performances, we hope this conversation with the artists will expand your reflection about the play. We'd like to invite you to learn more. Check out the resources and suggestions in the episode description and our website. We encourage you to talk about the play with your friends, to chat with us on Facebook or in our virtual talkbacks on Zoom. Or by leaving a response on our website. We want to hear what you think. And now, recorded on Treaty 6 territory, we bring you a conversation with the artists from You Said We'd Be Together Forever. Yeah, we're really grateful for each of you be a part of this, and uh, it's great to have Amanda Trapp, the playwright, um, record some things earlier because she couldn't yeah. be here tonight. Uh, but why don't we start, and I'll just invite everybody to go around and, and just say your name and, and what your role was on the production. Uh, sure. Hi, my name is uh, Ed Mendez, and I played him in the production. Uh, Desnica's Andrea Fulster. Or um, Medicine Thunderbird Woman, Janun Dundan. I'm from the Eagle Clan, and I played her. Hello, my name is Joanna Arnott, and I was the director. My name is Tim Bratton. I recorded this. And I'm Stephen Walshman, and uh, it's good to be here with you, and, and it's good to have you listeners listening in as well. The first question we like to ask it is uh, what surprised you as you experienced you said we'd be together forever? Or is there a line or an image from the play that has stuck with you? There's a there's a line the we are in relationship now. It's one that him has, but it's uh, and the the tactic that I as the actor used for it is is very manipulative. But um, he does have a he does have a point in the sense that we it, the reality of it, and I think yeah, her or she says it as well that this is a relationship that we are you know essentially two nations working that need to work together 
in a way that is not manipulative, in a way that is healthy, um, hopefully. But uh, yeah, that's that is an image that that has stuck with me. And it just it reminds me of the the Treaty Six medallion in particular. That it's it's two people holding hands together, shaking hands, and the way whenever I look at the medal, this is maybe just my personal feeling, but it's the idea of working together to to benefit each other, to benefit theoretically the land as well, so that yeah we can work together in a relationship and uh, and grow together. I think the, the whole the image for me is that is the growing together. It's the way it's what her has been saying the whole time that the relationship has to change, grow, evolve the whole way through. Thanks. I'd say Amanda as a as a writer, she's she's so clever and they're very specific in the words that they've used. And I can genuinely say that I'm surprised by something new every time I listen to it. And I'm not just saying that as a director to get you to listen to the episode multiple times, <laughs> even though you should. I, I, I am always surprised by something new that stands out to me in the piece. And I'm excited every single time. There's something, there's something new that, that stands out that I didn't hear before. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot, honestly. Not so much surprising, but there were a lot of sort of very vivid images that struck me when reading through the script. And they've only kind of gotten stronger during subsequent drafts. So I think I remember at at one point we were talking about there's the lines, do you feel it? When your feet are planted firmly on the earth, do you feel the vibrations? Um, the machine's digging. And so I just had this, like, this moment last week when I went skiing, cross-country skiing, and so we were laying, laying there down in the snow in the middle of the forest with the stars all above. And all you could hear was the beating of your heart through the blood kind of like pulsing in your veins. And it was just, it was amazing uh, to be able to sort of make that connection between that experience and and feeling like I was rooted and getting to feel that the way that this character did. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it struck me hearing one of one of hers lines tonight um, about do you suddenly feel unfamiliar now now the tables are turned I mean, you don't say that but, but that's the, the sense of it um, and, and the, the line I can't remember exactly what the line is we are more alike now than ever before and it just it struck me to to feel that sense of unfamiliarity in his world uh, that has been her normal her, her normal world or normal experience has been that that sense of being out of place and just caught my heart in a different way Amanda, it's great to have you with us as well for this talk back. And uh, we would love to 
to hear from you. What was the inspiration for you in creating this script and telling this story? The inspiration, uh, I think it came from a few things. Initially, it came from the thought of how do I, how can I express what it feels like to live in this country as an Indigenous person and the sort of strange nuances of it, the phrases that you hear that um, to settlers might just go over your head, but sort of land in a different way for me. When I was thinking of the dynamics of that relationship and how it was similar to a, a romantic relationship in a way, specifically a romantic relationship with um, emotional abuse and and maybe physical abuse and, and a really uh, a tormented relationship where communication is broken down and uh, began going down that rabbit hole and realizing that, that that dynamic is something that many people can find a way to relate to um, because we've all been in relationship with each other to a ver in a variety of ways. And not that everybody has been through this, but you can see echoes of yourself, I think, I would like to think in either character. And especially if uh, I wanted to make it like a male-female, very heterosexual relationship because I felt that was also indicative of the relationship between the Canadian state and Indigenous people. Uh, so I took all of those those ingredients and, you know, my own lived experience of, of yeah, being Indigenous in Canada and then also, you know, being a, a woman in relationship with white men and how sometimes that manifests and the nuances of that and my own experiences of being in these kinds of uh, emotionally unstable relationships. And it all sort of tumbled out into what ended up being this script. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was a, it was really a variety of things and I was really, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a really dark script, but I was pleased to see that all these things could come together. And I, I, I hope that everybody can find some shade of themselves within it. You say it. You say it's dark, but it's it's also got this this humor to it. So, <laughs> which I appreciated absolutely, yeah. and and I think was essential to the the communication of what you're doing. So I don't know if you'd want to say anything about that, but yeah, yeah, it is dark, but um, I think inevitably with darkness, there's there's humor, whether you you acknowledge it or embrace it or not, um, and it's also a coping mechanism. I mean, it's a coping mechanism. For many people, it's a coping mechanism for um, Indigenous people. I mean, Cree humor is sort of a, a very famous thing. Mm -hmm. um, and as a storytelling device, um, when you have lightness and humor, it does allow uh, the listeners, the audience's hearts to relax or open a little bit. I always like to think that the... Um, you know, the greater capacity we have as people for joy than the greater capacity we have as people for sorrow. And I think you can explore that within a play too. The more you push the humor, the further you can go down into um, the sorrow and the tragedy um, and have that land in a way that you couldn't if you hadn't have felt the joy as well. This may be a tough question. What is the hope that you see for this character at at the end? Because there is this leaning into... Mm -hmm. identity and 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 a new possibility mm -hmm. so uh, yeah speak to that as much as what you you see mm -hmm. that being for this 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 person this character you've created yeah 
the character of her at the end, you know, I really didn't, when I began writing it, I didn't expect it to go where it did. Um, it's also an exploration of what I think needs to be done and my own inability to know what needs to be done and what the best course of action is. Mm -hmm. um, for the character, she remembers, generally rem remembers who she is, but she gains confidence in who she is, which is something that myself, but I'm sure many people um, aspire to and struggle with is, yeah, I know who I am. I, I know, you know, what land I, I originally belonged to, but I, I, having the confidence in embracing that full-heartedly and everything that that means is a whole other mountain to climb. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And then there's also, because she is um, a metaphor for indigenous people as a whole, there is a possibility that the end of the play after that, it means like civil, um, civil disrest, uh, unrest and, and it means a breakdown of the state and it means, um, and you know, a taking of land back in a, in a path other than the one that the state has, has laid out for us to try and follow. Um, and I don't know if that's what I want. I don't know if that's, if, if that's what ev everybody else wants, but it's, something um so it's hard to say what i want and what i hope for for that character because there is no easy choice and there's it feels like there's no right decision and so i i i am i i left it in that openness because it could be anything it could be anything and i don't know which which is best i don't know that's great it does yeah. sound though like it's an imagination, a, the, a hope for an imagination of something different, other than yes. what has been assumed. Yes, yeah. it's definitely um, yes, it definitely is leading to something different. I guess it's how we get to that something different, and what exactly that different manifests as yeah. that is open to interpretation and imagination, yeah. which is um, exactly what I was looking for. I didn't want to, you know, then write a final a final monologue or paragraph being like and then these things happened yeah. and this is how we find a better way the end <laughs> yeah it's not what theater does no uh, well anyway yeah it's no. good cool yeah Steve? yeah i i was thinking of asking something like what are the questions you're hoping listeners are left with but mm. you've you've articulated that yeah. sense of like yeah what what is what are the other what are other possibilities of, of future paths that we haven't necessarily imagined? And it yeah. doesn't necessarily need to mean a dark or violent path, yeah. but the paths that have been laid out, like, like this script is articulating are not enough. And yeah, um, yeah I think that's, those are good questions to, to leave people wrestling with. Yeah. Yeah, I um, and I'll also say that I I hope that people also come away with it realizing how much is at stake for the Canadian state because mm -hmm. you know we think of we think of what Indigenous people have lost and you know what we're trying to regain, but we don't think about how much the state of Canada relies on our on our peace on our following 
you know, this path of reconciliation with them, how crucial that mm -hmm. is to the state. Um, and so I tried another thing that the relationship, female male relationship helps me explore is that, you know, the man gets to say these things in a relationship we relate to. Like if we break up, like uh, we're living together, I have to take my stuff, do we sell the house? There's all of these things that essentially are, um, you know, simpl simplifications, but metaphorically relate to what is at stake for Canada. Yeah. 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 So th this is a question from uh, maybe a little bit different angle. Um, how are you connected to this land and to the communities around you? For me, I've been in Saskatoon since I was six, born in Winnipeg. My dad's reserve is the Broken Head Ojibwe Nation, which is just north of Winnipeg, okay. near Scanterbury. And since I was young, he and my mom would take my brother and I camping, or we'd go out for a picnic, sometimes with my sisters our brother and my younger brother. Sometimes we'd all go fishing, like especially the past few years. You know, my dad would take us out and we'd just rent a boat and go fishing. But being able to get away and get out on the land has always helped me feel a little bit more myself. And being here in Saskatoon, I feel very rooted to this place. I tried living away for eight months and it did not go well. I mean, it was okay, but um, all my supports were here, all my people were here. And I have family back in Manitoba and whenever I go back there, it's almost like a dream. You know, sometimes it's just for summer visits, usually for funerals, sometimes weddings. And so, yeah. It's, it's a complicated relationship because I feel like I'm from here, but I'm technically not. Um, so I'm always just a little bit aware that, I don't know, this is not my treaty, this is not my territory, but if I could claim it as mine, I would, because this is where I feel very at home, and that makes me happy. Thanks. Yeah, so I, I mean, I come here by way of Chile, sort of. Um, so my, my parents, my dad was a refugee. My mom was uh, brought over later. Um, uh, Saskatoon, or Saskatoonanique is the only home I've ever known. Um, I've never lived away from this city ever. Um, in terms of the land, I find that the, kind of, kind of like what Andrea had said, actually, I find myself more connected with, with trees and water. Um, I don't know, there's, there's something about being in a forest or being near the water that it's always just recharged my batteries. Um, some of the best memories I've, I've ever created in my life are at like Candle Lake specifically or up north on Otter Lake, um, kind of by Mississippi. And I think, I mean, to speak to that specifically, uh, there's a couple of canoe trips I've taken over the last few years that, um, gosh, <laughs> 20, over 20 years ago was the first time. And then about 
11 years ago was the last time, but there's something about being on the water with just, you know, one or two other people in a canoe and, you know, no city anywhere near you. All you have is whatever you brought in. Um, you know, all you've got is, yeah, whatever food you brought in, your knife, your fishing rod, and that's, that's what you have to live off of for the next week or so. There's just something incredibly peaceful about that. And, you know, not being able to hear the sounds of society, the sign, the sounds of, uh, for lack of a better term, colonialism kind of beating down on you. There's just something very raw and powerful about being yeah, stuck on a rock somewhere. I find that there's, <laughs> there's another, another force, I guess it's not really the land, but just finding like the sun, whenever the sun is out and, and I'm in these kinds of places, it's just incredible. I have a very bad relationship with snow. <laughs> I'll, throw, I'll throw that out there as well, which is interesting for somebody living in Saskatoon to say that because <laughs> snow is a, is kind of what we do. <laughs> it's magical, but it's unforgiving. Yes. Yeah. I was born in Saskatoon, and I've always kind of felt like defensive when people criticize you know you hear uh people say oh it's flat oh i can't wait to to leave and i've always been a little confused <laughs> because i think there's so much to love here my favorite memories are going on school field trips to the river and watering in the trees. And those trees when you're a kid feels like you're in a forest. Like now I recognize it's 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 much smaller than I than I thought it was. But when I was a kid, I felt like I had entered a brand new world walking along the riverbank, finding rocks and and leaves and taking them home and, and making my mother um put them up on <laughs> in her china cabinet. <laughs> um <laughs> It's where I feel the most artistic. I I love going for long drives in the prairie, leaving the city and just seeing the the waves of canola <laughs> and other things growing, and uh, and watching the sky change. There's so much beauty here. In terms of community, I, I speak a lot of the, the theater community being a, a part of it and watching it, it grow and watching us grow during this pandemic time especially has just made my heart soar. We've come together in, in ways that impressed like all of Canada. We, we worked hard, we inspired, we shared the knowledge that we learned from each other to make each other better. And that's what community is about to me, is about how can you raise up the people around you. Thanks. Yeah. As a follow-up question. How could you be more connected to the land, to communities around you? 
I realize now I didn't talk about communities at all. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's that's okay. Well, it, yeah, and it's a reflection of where my head is at too. I mean, the idea of, of identity for me has been a struggle for quite some time. Because when I was younger, I wasn't really connected to the Hispanic community in a big way. Mm -hmm. My parents really wanted to ensure that I integrated into, you know, mainstream society. Call it what that is, I guess. So, I mean, yeah, if there are communities I feel a part of, it's like that stereotypical Canadian thing. Like, I have a favorite hockey team. I, you know, <laughs> I'm really into living in the prairies. Um, but uh, as I've grown older now, though, I'm, I'm trying to do what I can to be to break into other communities like now I'm the general manager of the Gordon Tatusis Niganuman Theatre so trying to learn as much as I can about the indigenous community um, for a while I, I was actually a volunteer with the uh, what was it called the ICC the uh, Institute for Canadian Citizenship and so I would actually help to run citizenship ceremonies in, uh, in Saskatoon and so I got to know a fair bit of the international community as well. Um, a lot of newcomers, a lot of brand new citizens. And that was really eye-opening to see um, just what kind of struggle human beings from around the world have taken in order to get here and then, you know, to build a new life, essentially. It's, you know, when you become a citizen, you, you say, like, I, I am no longer from that player. I'm no longer... I don't belong there. I belong here. This is where I choose to make my life. Um, and of course, there's a lot of complicated nuance with the idea of, of citizenship in this country, too. I mean, this play kind of demonstrates that, I would think. Um, to circle back to the question, what could I be doing? I mean, I feel like uh, when it comes to making connections in this community, I could be a little bit more proactive, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> And I know it's it's hard during the pandemic, but there's something I've been wanting to do for quite some time is really connect with people that like the Open Door Society, the Newcomer Information Center, International Women of Saskatoon, um, and the others that are in here that are, because know, you know that there are other artists that are coming in from everywhere, and then trying to, to, to reach out and say, like, we have a really wonderful theater community here. Is there a way that we can help you tell your story? Or, like... Do you have a way to tell your story? Like, what do you need? If you need space, we have, you know, we know people with space. Mm. Um, if you need gear, we know people with gear. Mm. Like, what, how can we bridge those gaps so that those stories are being told as well? And then uh, in terms of the Indigenous theater community, it's just a matter of connecting with each other and getting to know everybody in a bigger way. Yeah, it's it's been interesting through the pandemic. Like, we talk about division within our society now and uh, just the way that the, uh, the things that it has exposed both positive and negative it's been yeah that's a whole other kind of worms I think mm -hmm. <laughs> something I reflect on when I think about community for sure thanks well for me I should probably pick up the phone and call my sisters more <laughs> email my brother read some of his writing and say hello I read your writing hmm. yeah it's 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 interesting because I've always been a kind of a what sort of flows by me and what is in front of me tends to get my focus so when I have family that's away and I have community that's you know we're all cloistered in ourselves with the pandemic I've been sort of 
rooting myself a little bit more in my very immediate. So I've spent a lot of time with my mom and not as much time with my younger brother as I'd like to. Um, you know, I haven't been driving to work as much, so I haven't been hanging out with my dad in the car rides um, to work. I've been trying to connect with my coworkers more. Every now and again, I get to meet somebody from the theater community, make new connections, and that's pretty cool. But it always feels like there's something more that I could be doing, for sure. And it's partially, partially, I you know, I, I favor more kind of one-on-one -on -one conversations, one-on-two, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a little easier for my brain to track. And so it's, it's, it's harder to be motivated to sort of reach out and do the big community thing. Um, but, you know, that's, that's kind of sad because there's a lot of joy to be found in the big community things. Um, I used to get that a lot more when I was younger and, um, and yeah, there's, I feel like there's more that I could be doing to sort of help with protests or with organizing or, I don't know, there's got to be something more that I can do than just liking a post on Facebook. Um, sometimes I just feel like that's all that I can do is repost something that I feel will help somebody in some way um, so I've been doing like a lot of sharing information about like ADHD and sensory processing issues and mental health awareness and just art awareness and and sharing things that can make people feel warm and fuzzy inside because I don't think that we get enough of that but it's still all very in a limited space um, and so being able to have this opportunity to work on a project like this and maybe just share some of these ideas into a, a wider reaching space, um, I feel really grateful for because I don't feel like I do enough of it. And so it's really great to be given this chance. I need to connect more with, um, with the land, I'd, I'd say, and and disconnect. I live in the heart of the city. I'm surrounded by traffic noises. I use my phone obsessively despite being bad at answering emails. Mm -hmm. And and I yearn for disconnecting, for getting lost in the woods, mm -hmm. for hiding and becoming a paralegal sometimes. <laughs> and I I think I, I can do that, <laughs> but it's, it's also, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a weirdly scary thought to disconnect, because then I fear I'd lose some of that community, but I'd gain an awareness of, of connecting to, to something greater, mm -hmm. so should get lost in the woods. Mm -hmm. I've also been trying to be more vocal about things that I believe in, being more open and sharing things about myself. I think uh, as a person that's often anxious, <laughs> I, uh, I, I've been told that I hold my cards close to my chest 
And that's not a, I don't want to share things. It's a, I'm scared that I'm going to overshare. Mm-hmm. And there's a learning that that's not a bad thing. <laughs> that people like it when you overshare. Mm-hmm. It, it feels human. It feels connected. So, yeah. This is me oversharing. thank you one more question so some elders understand the spirit of treaty as adoption as a good way to welcome strangers as family or as all our relations yet we collectively have not fulfilled those relationships across these lands called Canada Our series title, We Treaty People, is an unfinished declaration inviting all of us forward to lean in to the treaty relationship as one of many paths toward reconciliation. I'm curious, how has being part of telling this story affected the ways you see other people or or maybe what the phrase all my relations means to you? I think for me, this process um, and getting to chat with Amanda and Ed and think about and this story, it made me feel a little bit less lost and a little bit less alone and out of place because um, for me, my experience is I'm very white presenting and I'm half and half. So my dad's Anishinaabe. Soto, um, my mom's white, and it's always kind of had a foot in both worlds. Christianity and Native spirituality too. You know, my dad did mission work, so he was a, a minister with the Presbyterian Church. But we also did smudging ceremonies, and we would have elders that would sometimes give us teachings. And my uncle was a medicine man and would hold ceremonies and sweat lodges, and I didn't get to partake in as many of them as I would have liked, but um, some of them. And so, yeah, just sort of the feeling of being in both worlds and sort of straddling that, I've had to, I've, I've had a chance to sort of meet other people who are feeling that way, and then sort of get to share that, that feeling with her um, that feeling of feeling out of place, of, of sort of, she's been living in this post-colonial life for so long that she doesn't remember parts of herself anymore. And that's, that's very much how I feel. I, there's, there's a lot that I don't know that I wish I knew. And I don't even begin to know where to look. You know, every once in a while I'll pick up a book, but it doesn't feel right, you know? Mm. Um, And so for me, all my relations has always been a phrase that my dad has used. Um, Usually an ending prayer. Miigwech, all my relations. Thank you, all my relations. Usually chatting with ancestors. But also chatting with, you know, also acknowledging and thanking everybody in the room for, 
for giving themselves to being present, um, to listening to what was being said or prayed for. And so it's a phrase that feels close to my heart, but it's been really cool to have this process change the way it sits in my soul just a little bit differently. And as for the, the treaty conditions and what we're going to do, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But um, it was really interesting to be able to explore, explore some of it with, with this play. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it's this play or exploring this play has reminded me, I guess, what, what I have kind of come to take from all my relations and the, the phrase itself. Um, just reminded me that, that we are, as human beings, are all interconnected. That, you know, aside from a couple physical differences, say, we're the same species. And we don't exactly, we don't always treat each other that way. <laughs> we don't. That's absolutely true. Um, because, you know, there are over 7 billion of us and we're all unique. So how much commonality can we all find? That's a question I, I keep asking myself every day. Mm-hmm. You know, society exists. I think that societies, as a, as a rule, are all quite fragile. I mean, every society has their own set of laws and rules that govern everybody, but you know, not everybody agrees with every single one. And, and you're never going to find a society where that's a thing. So, I mean, it gets my head spinning in a lot of different ways. Um, but it, so if, if anything, it's reminded me to just be kinder to everybody because you just don't know what anybody else is feeling at any given time. You don't know anybody's story, period. I mean, I've been on this earth 38 years. Anybody else who's been here that same amount of time has lived that same amount of time and seen very, very, had a very different life experience than mine, right? So, you know, trying to be kinder as much as I can and, and more empathetic to what people are going through. Trying to be less judgmental, really. Um, in terms of treaties and then thinking about that, I think this came up in, in rehearsal one day, but I, the idea of um, what would happen if, say, you know, this, this situation happened where there, there was a, rev, a revocation of the treaties or, or you know, some, there's... Treaties don't cover all of, of Canada, not at all. There are many unceded territories. So what would happen if, say, this went to, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a legal expert, I'm just, <laughs> this is all hypotheticals. I don't even know where you go to this sort of thing. But if there was some sort of legal precedent where Indigenous people said, okay, treaties are done and unceded land is now ours again, what would happen? And I don't know. And that would be... But it sure would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> At the very least, it would be very interesting to see how that entire process would shake out, I think. Because, I mean, even thinking of Treaty 6 in particular, there's the idea that that um, you know, col- whoever the colonizers were originally, like the British, presumably, I, I, I'm not great with the details on it, but thinking of Treaty 6, there's something about not going deeper than a plow depth. Um, that is written in there. That is the language of it. Um, so, I mean, to me, I'm not a, again, not a legal expert, but to me that says anything that's like resource development, anything under the ground, like resources like gold, diamonds, oil, etc., should all belong to Indigenous people. 
but you know what would happen if if that um, if that was recognized? I think there'd be. I mean, it's it's kind of what him is alluding to at the end, and it's just it would create in society pandemonium or chaos or something that we're not ready to handle yet. Mm. Um, yeah, sorry, that was kind of rambly, but that's <laughs> kind of in my head. And it's really gotten this play has really gotten me thinking for and. Damn, Amanda's a great writer. <laughs> like, I bet this is the second time I've gotten to work on, on a piece that Amanda's written, and and boy, she just—it was such a limited uh, amount of text. Really gets you thinking. Mm-hmm. It's like poetry. There's there's a lot of depth. Yeah. yeah. Can I have your answer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really drawn at the end of the play to the joy of it um i think like it's it's scary to think of the world that we know ending and and changing change is scary but i think it introduces the idea that it it can also be a joyful experience and that there's a whole other world of options that we i'm speaking as as a settler as as a white person we have not considered or taken into account that it's scary because we've only ever looked at it from our perspective. And I think if we open up our brains and we open up our hearts to hearing and, and approaching it a different way, that there's so many other ways that it can be looked at and, and, and dealt with for lack of a better word, but that the change doesn't need to be scary, that it, is good and and brings a lot of joy. It gets me thinking about systems and like systematic thinking and how the systems that we've created, yeah, like like when you were saying, Joe, the systems we've created can seem scary because it's all we know, but mm-hmm. positive change can come from systematic change. Like think of when I think of there's one example that just jumped out as you were talking. It's the idea of like the four day work week and how. Like many corporations are so afraid to go to the four-day work week, but you know there are pilot programs around the world and even in our own country that are showing that it's it actually increases positivity because people feel more rested when it's all said and done, and you know it's it's being brave and making that change and trying it out that it's it's whoever you know when you innovate that's where success is found right if you stay in the same systems you're just going to know the same you're going to get the same results time and time again. Um, and that kind of tied into all my relations in a way where I was thinking of like just different culture, cultures from around the world. How like in Spain, you know, places shut down, like businesses shut down, the whole city kind of shuts down for about an hour, hour and a half or so because people are just taking a little rest break. And all I could think was, boy, that'd be nice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just real, it would be really nice to be able to, to change systems in a way that work for, for human beings, not for corporations or entities that are non-human and I mean things like that you know probably came about in incorporation with working with the natural rhythms of the world mm-hmm. you know like it makes sense to sleep now because it's too hot to do anything else yeah. right yeah. and and even now with air conditionings it's it's a, it's a it's a personal rhythm that just feels right mm-hmm. um, and I think that a lot of our 
A lot of our culture today encourages you to ignore your natural rhythms and ignore your natural impulses and just persevere, you know, kill yourself working, take all the side hustles yeah. and, and, um, and go until you crash. And, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned from looking at other ways that people are doing things and, and trying to find a healthier, healthier way to go about things because the way things are for indigenous people and the way things are just for people in a lot of our society, it's just untenable and change needs to happen, but it's so cushy for the few who have the control that it's really hard to make that change happen. And, and it's really hard to not get depressed by that because no matter how hard you fight for change, no matter how much you rail and scream that, that just by a few votes, things stay the same. And at what point do you say no enough is enough? If you're not going to honor the thing that you've already totally dishonored, in many ways but now that you are aware now that we have you listening if you are no longer going to listen and keep going the way that you are we're gonna have to find some change another way that's scary but it's also kind of hopeful it'd be nice to have a healthier healthier way to be in relationship for all of us We Treaty People is a production of Burnt Thicket Theatre. Support our work with a donation and learn more about the artists at burntthicket.com. And check out our website or the episode description for links to other great learning resources. Special thanks go to the Canada Council for making this project possible. And to our season sponsors, Shercom Industries and SK Arts. This work was gratefully created on Treaty 6 territory and on the homeland of the Métis. Join us next time for another audio drama episode of We Treaty People.